Christopher McCandless was a young man uh, full of adventure, um, and after graduating uh, Emory University in 1990, he set off on this adventure um, to explore the country all by himself. He journeyed from state to state, uh, into Arizona, California, went to South Dakota. Many times he would hold down a job just long enough so that he could get a little bit of money saved up, and then he would be off on his, uh, his next journey uh, to the next place. Now, McCandless' um, desire, though, was to ultimately um, to go to Alaska and go on this Alaskan excursion. This journey was a dream of his, and he, he had this desire to do it so that he could be away from civilization, alone, and he could keep a journal of his physical and spiritual progress as he faced the forces of the Alaskan bush. So in April of 1992, Christopher McCandless hitchhiked to Fairbanks, Alaska. He was last seen by a man by the name of Jim who tried to persuade him to, to stop and did not go all by himself. But on the 28th of 1992, uh, McCandless began his journey at Stampede Trail in Alaska. He had minimal supplies, and he headed off into the Alaskan bush all by himself. For 112 days, he journeyed on this adventure. He had great highs and tremendous lows, but he had no one to share them with except for his journal. He lived in an old abandoned bus most of his excursion, And he thought he could do it all by himself. But on September the 12th of 1992, Christopher McCandless was found dead. He weighed at the time only 67 pounds and died due to starvation. You see, he thought he could do life on his own, but it simply could not be done. Now, some of you in this room might be living in a similar way to Chris. Specifically in your faith, you think that, well, you don't need others. Now, you might say, well, I've got a few friends, or I've got some people in my life, but none of those people are really motivating you to be a a better you. You're often deceived by the adversary that you have exactly what you need, and you and you alone is all that you need. You think that you can do it alone. You can go on living this way. The sad thing is, life and this journey with the Lord was never meant to be done alone. We were never created to journey a path all by ourselves. Since the very beginning of creation, God has ordained mankind for relationships. You see, even before sin entered into this world, when Adam was in the garden, right? And when God looked down upon Adam and saw that Adam was alone, he said, that was not good. It can't be. And so what does God do? He creates for Adam Eve, he creates a companion and a helper and a friend. He creates somebody to have a relationship with. And as Matt shared with us last week, we is better than me. Now the first church of the New Testament understood that we is better than me. The disciples had lived in a small group, right? Uh, For three years they had journeyed from town to town with Jesus, experiencing life together and seeing the miracles of Jesus But their world was rocked when their leader was wrongfully accused and convicted, was taken to a cross and died. Now Christ rose from the grave and conquered death, but just after his capture, his disciples are in disarray. Peter, we find, denies him three times. Judas, the one who betrayed him, commits suicide. John is at least found at the foot of the cross. He's told to take care of Jesus' mother, Mary. 
But overall, it seems that all the disciples went different ways during this time. Now, I think Jesus knew mankind's tendencies. He has given us this fight-or-flight response, and since he had told Peter not to fight, well, the disciples all flee in this moment. But he also knew what he was doing when he had gathered these men together, the moments when he had taught them and had journeyed with them as a group. He had established them to be in a relationship with one another, and he knew that eventually they were going to come back together. So after the death of Jesus and the finding of the empty tomb, where do you find the disciples? Well, you find them together with one another. If you want to turn over to the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, verse 33, um, it says this. It says they, the disciples, or no, this is actually they, these is right after the, uh, Jesus has appeared to a couple men on the road to Emmaus. It says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then there they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together. <laughs> you see, Jesus had established the first small group of people. The first church was a small group, and by calling the disciples together in his ministry and living life together with them, For three years, these men, well, they didn't know what to do. They had seen the empty tomb. They had heard the rumors of his appearances, but they didn't understand what was next. So here they are sitting in this room together. And into verse 36 of chapter 24, it says this, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Isn't it interesting that Jesus appears when we meet together? Interesting enough, he said he promised this in Matthew 18, verse 20. It says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. You see, God works in our gatherings together. And this faith in Jesus was, was never meant to be lived alone. Faith in Christ demands a life together with other believers. Now, as Jesus talks with the disciples, he promises them power from on high. He tells them of the Holy Spirit that's going to come to them. Luke's gospel comes to a close and Jesus ascends into heaven, but the book of Acts picks that up. Luke and Acts are a two-part work written by the same guy, uh, Luke, who was a physician, a doctor, uh, somebody who had uh, been well-educated. He was a companion of Paul's on some of his missionary journeys. And as he opens up uh, in, the, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, we find the disciples again together. And we read this in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to be today in Acts 2, if you want to turn there as well. It says this, starting in verse 1 uh, of Acts 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now the tongues spoken of here is not some sort of like heavenly language or babble that we don't understand. No, no, these were simply just different languages, different foreign languages. It was needed, right? There were many people that were gathered that day in Jerusalem. They were celebrating Pentecost, which was a feast that they would have celebrated 50 days after the Passover celebration in which God passed over um, the, the, the Israelites when he then led them out of Egypt. 
But they were celebrating this, this festival, and all these people had gathered in this one place, many from different, different uh, areas of the world who would have spoken different languages, and God gives them exactly what they need, these disciples. He gives them the ability to communicate um, in every language that was needed. And here they are, beginning to spread the good news of Jesus. Now, people were astonished, the scripture says. Many thought the disciples were drunk at first, but then they kind of lean in and they start to actually listen. And they're like, no, no, he's speaking my language. And the guy beside him is like, no, he's speaking my language. And they're, they're realizing that God is working in the midst of this. And then Peter stands up before them and he tells them who Jesus was and that Jesus has risen. And he tells them that, that they, they need to come to who Jesus is. And, and there, here's the thing. They ask, so what shall we do. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, we find this. It says, Re- Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. It says, In that day, 3,000 were added to their number. A small group with the power of the Holy Spirit established the first church, and it did it in a very powerful way. You see, since the beginning of the church, together has been its foundation. Having a community of faith with one another is, is key. The need for we and not me has helped the church to grow. It's lifted Christ high, and it's seen that he is glorified. And it didn't end there with the church, Right? No, it continues on as they continue to live together and they continue by the power of the Holy Spirit given to them by Jesus. They continue to share this good news of Christ and eventually that good news goes from one generation to the next to the next and brings us to here today. And that we know Jesus because people were together and served the Lord and shared the hope that they had. So what's so special about together? You know, I had originally planned when sat down with Matt and we planned out this uh, series of sermons. I had originally planned to share with you um, why together is so good for for you. Uh, To tell you of the benefits of having true friendships and and deep connections with other men and women. Things like, you're going to have people that are going to pray for you. I mean, really care about your needs, not just like, they're really going to lift those needs up before the Lord when you're going through difficulties. You're going to have people that are going to walk with you when you need encouragement and help and support. You're going to be challenged. There are going to be times where you need some accountability, and those people are going to support you, and they're going to challenge you to, to strive to, to honor the Lord with your life. I'd plan to tell you about how attending a small group is like depositing uh, small amounts of money into a bank account, Right? Over time, every time you journey to a small group or every time you go to the bank and deposit a small amount, slowly the deposits add up, right? And someday you're going to walk through something and you're going to need to withdraw like you would like if your washer and dryer goes out and you need to go withdraw a big amount of money so you can replace them or the car has a big major expense, you withdraw that large amount. Just like that in our lives, there are days and there are difficulties that we walk through in life and we need to withdraw Um, what has been deposited in these relationships with other people. That's a personal benefit of small groups. But to be honest, I I don't think that you need to be convinced of why relationships are needed. 
I mean, you guys know what it's like to, to have good friendships and good relationships. But what I wonder is, do you know the power of relationships with other believers? Or do you understand that the promise that was given to those disciples is given to us as well, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be with us? And do you understand that together not only has personal benefits, but it does a great thing for the gospel of Jesus? You see, when you commit to being in a small group, or a Bible fellowship, or going beyond the relationships that happen on a Sunday morning of like, hi and hello, and oh, the weather's nasty out there today, isn't it? That true relationships begin to be built, and God begins to be able to see his church um, act and be what he's called it to be. You see, together holds up truth. The father of lies would like nothing more than to get you to experience life alone. I like how one psychologist said it, Philip Zimbardo. He said, I know of no more potent killer than isolation. There's no more destructive influence on physical and mental health than the isolation of you from me and us from them. It's been shown to be a central agent in the cause of depression, paranoia, schizophrenia, rape, suicide, mass murder, and a wide variety of disease states. You know, isn't it nice when mainstream science aligns with God's word. It's like, yeah, I know he told us that already. It's saying life cannot be lived alone and faith cannot be lived alone. So as this early church grows together and the Holy Spirit empowers them, the small group of people starts to become larger and larger. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we hear this about these these people that are living with one another, that are sharing life together. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. You see, trying to live for Christ without others is like trying to play football without pads. It's going to hurt. Did you notice what it said? All the believers were together. They met together, walked together, journeyed together, shared life together. They shared in the needs of one another. Look, this is not saying you have to live in some sort of like commune. That's not what it's getting at right here. It instead simply means that we are develop a great, to develop a great sense of community with others. That community will, will be built, though, on something. And we learn of the early church that it was built on, it said, the apostles' teachings. It was built on, on truth. Now today, our New Testament holds those teachings for us. So we want to build the church and our lives together on God's word. Because life together is better. There's an issue that is sweeping the church of today. At the root is a heart to reach people, which is obviously what I think we are called to do. But many are willing to compromise God's truth in order to do just that. Some call it progressive evangelism. Whatever it's called, the issue is this, that some claim the church needs to conform to the world and to our culture in order to win over the next generation of young people or millennials. Conforming may be seen in maybe a change of political views, uh, an acceptance of things like same-sex marriage, a tolerance of immorality. It may even ask you to deny the literal days of creation, among other things. 
But let me tell you this, since I'm a millennial and since I get the opportunity to minister and partner and do life with other millennials here at our church, uh, that's not what we want, nor is that what we need. The scripture, act, or there's an author that actually says this, and I think he says it well. He says, while millennials are prone to distrusting people, they are drawn to authenticity and honesty. This generation has a deep realization that everyone fails. That's good stuff right there. Uh, they've witnessed religious figures collapse under the weight of their own hypocrisy. Many of their own parents have let them down by moral failures and divorce. The last thing they want is for some pastor to get up and pretend as if everything is okay. They don't want to hear from another Christian wearing a fake plastic smile. They, want, they, they instead want to know how you live out the Christian life in this messy world. Do that with integrity and authenticity and they will respond. You know, as a church, can I tell you, Bethany, I am so encouraged by you, young and old alike, for your genuine and authentic nature, for who you are. It's something that first, I first experienced when I came and met with the leaders of this place, and I believe God called me into the ministry here. I saw the genuine hearts and the authenticity of who these, these people were, and then I got to see that being lived out in, in you all and how you partner in the ministry together. So when people come to, to me as a minister and say, what is it that is drawing others to Jesus at Bethany? What is it that is helping you all to grow? I get to look them in the face, and I get to say, I'm not really sure. <laughs> people are authentic. They're genuine. They're not compromising the truth. They're simply being everything that Christ has called them to be, and we are striving to lift high the name of Jesus and by staying true to Christ and true to his word, I believe God is blessing this place. Look, Jesus told us this. He, he even prayed for us in such a way in John chapter 7. He says, I've given them your word. And, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. <laughs> they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is is truth. And Jesus prayed to God, keep them far from the evil one and help them to proclaim the truth of the gospel to others. It's just not an individual thing, though. It's something that we, we've got to do together. Now, if you were to ask my small group, the people that I do life with, a few of them are sitting over here right now, they would tell you I'm a little messy at times, that, that I am broken. If you ask my wife, she'd tell you I'm crazy. Um, but there are definitely many, many days that I feel like I'm the worst of sinners. But what I love most is that if I were to ask many of you in the room, you would say just the same thing. Because we know we aren't perfect. But together we serve a perfect God who has sent his son and has given us a hope and a message to share with others. And that's what we want to do together. Because life together is better. But second, we know this, that together lifts high Jesus. Get this, our unity and our connection with one another literally sees that Christ is honored and lifted high. There's a couple here at Bethany that just a few years ago would have t probably told you that they were kind of like kicking the tires of faith. You know, they, they were just kind of testing the waters out. They came hit or miss as every once in a while. Um, they had a friend that invited them to a small group, and so they went here or there, and 
just really weren't sure about it for a while, but they began to build some friendships and relationships, and slowly they began to, to see the importance of their faith more and more, and they began to take deeper and deeper strides and getting more and more involved and committed to others. Then they experienced a difficult loss. Their, their first child died to miscarriage. But it was in that moment that, that God had planned something good for them. He began to reveal to them more and more their need for the church, their friendship with others in a small group, and their consistent attendance at the church began to pay off. And, and bef- before too long, God had taken that difficult moment and used them it to draw them closer and closer to him. They both were, were baptized just uh, a few months ago. Now, as that situation unfolded before my eyes, my heart ached with the family. But I love that through pain, that God used his church through a small group and through together to take a terrible time in one couple's life and to set them on fire for the Lord. Um, Often their joy now encourages me when I go to our small group. Their hearts and their support um, and their love and their prayers um, then become, uh, come back to me and get to minister to me. That's how Christ is lifted high in the midst of together. Listen again to how the first church represented this. We're going to read back in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2. It says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Did you catch how God was using their unity? Their faith together was lifting high the name of Jesus. When they met together, when they cared for each other, when they shared meals and studied the word, they would have all been encouraged. But I, I like to think that, that God looked down upon that and he smiled. I mean, you really think about this. I, I know God transcends time, right? He, he doesn't have a yesterday and tomorrow he has an always. Um, but I think there's like a bookmark on eternity of that, that moment and those days of that, that first church. I mean, this was the moment in which uh, sin's chokehold was, was broke. Jesus ha- had, had did everything that was needed and we have now had been given hope as mankind. And here this early church is given the Holy Spirit's power and they are beginning to spread and the gospel is beginning to go into more and more and more people's lives. And the Lord is saying, this is what I wanted all along, to be in right relationship with mankind. And I think it was in that moment that God looked down and he said, man, man, I'm happy. <laughs> and he smiled upon his people. Think about it. Jesus' work on the cross did everything we needed. And now others are sharing that hope so that others will come to know him. See, together is better. Now, I'm not sure what God has in store for you, but I know God has great plans for you. And I know that when you enter into real relationships with others as followers of Christ, you're going to be encouraged and God's going to be glorified. I like how the message paraphrases Colossians 3. It says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father 
every step of the way. Life together is better. And when we are together, God is glorified. But finally, know this, that together draws others to Jesus. There was a a big winter storm that hit uh, the upper um, half of the United States uh, many years back. And there's a couple that uh, was out driving, trying to get home, and their car slid off the road, and the, the snow began to build up, pile onto the car, and the bitter cold um, was there, and there was no cell phones, no way to contact anybody, so they began to try to do everything they could to, to stay warm and um, to stay alive. Um, but it was just a few hours into that that it's believed that the both of them died. Now, days later, uh, rescue workers found the car that had come off the road, and they found a note that had been scribbled and stuffed into the glove box by the woman, they believe. It says, I don't want to die this way, is what she wrote. Alone, by herself. But the sad part about it was just six feet away, another large vehicle had slid off the road. Just a few hours later, a bus had done the same thing. It was filled with people on their way to some sort of event. And instead of allowing it to, uh, to ruin their night, the people had a little party in the bus and celebrated. And because there were so many people together, they were able to stay, to stay warm. You know, look, we, we meet here together this morning to worship God. But just outside these doors... Just outside your, your front door next to you, your neighbor, your coworkers, maybe your family, people that you know, they've scribbled a note themselves. Maybe they've not verbally said it. Maybe they don't even realize just yet, but they are screaming out, I don't want to die this way. And we are together with a message of hope that can be shared with others. Look how, it's, how it ended this, this passage in Acts 2, verse 47. It says, They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It says that life together is better. Because of the first church's faith in Christ, their commitment to one another, faith has been passed from one generation to the next. And the Lord has added to their number and now our numbers as God continues to use his people to draw others to Christ. God's plans have always included God's people. God has always loved us. He's seen us as his prized possessions. Now sin wrecked that relationship, we understand that. But Christ mended it. And now Christ has chosen us. God has ordained us. And the Holy Spirit is in us. Actually, the word tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, I hope that you've experienced the personal benefits of being a part of community, of connecting with other believers, maybe in a small group or a Bible fellowship or in some sort of discipling type of relationship. If not, my prayer is that over the next weeks that you will get involved as we um, begin to kick off our small groups, um, 
Next week, uh, back here in the room, right behind us in room 104, there'll be an opportunity to meet with small group leaders, new leaders, and others that are leading groups that have, have room for you um, to come in and to grow and to, to dig in deeper. Um, I hope that you would get, get to know those people. And I hope that you would start to make that a consistent thing in your life because I have no doubt you're going to be encouraged. No doubt you're going to be prayed for and loved and you're going to experience these personal benefits of deep connections with others in Christ. But even better than that, I know that the benefits goes beyond the personal side and into an eternal side. For when you commit to the church, to the idea of together, truth is held high, Christ is lifted high, And others come to know who Jesus is because life together is better. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus gives us um, this. He says, and when I am lifted up, when I am exalted from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. You see, we is better than me because life is better together. You know, this morning, I'm not sure where you're at. For some of you, you might be the person that is like sitting right now thinking, that's me. I'm the woman that was like sitting in the car by myself, alone, saying, I don't want to die like this. For others, you're thinking right now, I I know of some people that are walking through similar things. They're saying those same words. You're saying, I need to make a, a deeper connection with them. You're saying, I need to give my life over to the Lord and baptism. I need to start walking with Him and with His church. For some of you, you're just saying, I, I need to recommit. I, I need to pray. I need to lift up these concerns to the Lord. I need to just say, it's, I can't do it any longer, Lord, by myself. I need, I need you. Because we all need Christ. And we all need each other. Because life together is better.